You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. It's, I'm thankful that God doesn't uh, deal with us the way that we deal with other people or the way that uh, we think that he would. Uh, he is uh, full of surprises, isn't he? And uh, I'm just grateful that a holy God uh, would be able to look at us with mercy. I certainly do not deserve mercy from, from the, our Heavenly Father. I'm thankful for that, that, the message and song tonight. And uh, we'll be in the book of Nehemiah this evening. So Nehemiah chapter 4 if you wouldn't mind taking that, if you've got your Bibles, and then uh, while you're turning there, go ahead and stand. And as we honor the reading of the scripture this evening, Nehemiah chapter 2. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Nehemiah, just different things coming up on different nights. Um, it just uh, over the course of the last month or so, it seems like. Uh, it's been hard to be in a series on Sunday nights. We had assurance here. I was gone last week. Uh, we had the baccalaureate service. I, I was out of the series for one week. So it's been probably about a month since we've been in the book. And we're in chapter 2 tonight. We've uh, kind of gone through chapter 1 already. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we'll be. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass in the month Nisan... In the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. We're going to stop our reading there this evening in our series on the book of Nehemiah, which we're calling Arise and Build. And tonight I want to just give a, a, a simple principle, I think, that could be a help, but it will seem pretty simple this evening. Um, we'll, we'll call it timing for God's work. Timing for God's work. And we'll get into it here after we pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the confidence that I can have in it. When I, when I am sometimes unsure of, of how much uh, the direction um, should come from me, how much uh, I should try to, to convey certain things, God, I, I just ask for your help tonight. I pray that the word would be where we find our, our source of strength, and that you would speak to us through it, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the word and that we would rest in the fact that if it's in your word, it's helpful to us. So God, this evening, I pray that you'd help me to convey this. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to open hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you. You can be seated. Just as a review, Nehemiah was a Jew living in Persia. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and many Jews had gone back to Jerusalem at this point to reestablish the temple and its worship. And Ezra even had led a group uh, 12 years earlier. They had reestablished much of the, the, the sacrifices and the worship in the temple. But at this point in the story, there are no walls around Jerusalem. The whole city is left unprotected. And back in verse 1, Nehemiah is told about the state of Jerusalem and the condition of God's people, and it breaks his heart. We can read that in verse 3. They said unto me, of chapter 1, verse 3, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So it's not good. It's not good at all. I mean, if, if Nehemiah was giving a State of the Union address for God's people, it would be fairly negative. And he's taught, you know, he looks at the problem and it breaks his heart. And, and he has such a love for God's house that he sits down and weeps and then mourns and fasts and prays for days on end, we're told. He prays a wonderful prayer there at the end of chapter 1 when, uh, about how much God's people need God and And it is his response that gives us insight into why God would want to use a man like Nehemiah to lead the task of rebuilding the walls. And here's what, if I was to summarize chapter 1, what I would summarize chapter 1 with is this phrase from E.M. Bounds when he says, The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And I believe with all my heart, it's easy to see that God found a better man here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the kind of man that God can use. And the truth is, God is still looking for better men and better leaders and better servants who will only serve God in the best way they know how, who will have a heart for God's house who will have a heart for God's people, who will have a heart for God's work. Men of Eastside Baptist Church, we need men that love God and love His work and love His people that much. It wasn't about Nehemiah's construction skills. It wasn't about his leadership training. His, his resume probably was, fell very short of the task. You wouldn't have considered him to be qualified for this job, but he was a man who loved the right things enough that God wanted to use him. And it just so happens, I mean, just circumstances, it just, out of sheer luck, that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. And I hope that you understand a little sarcasm there, or of someone being facetious there, that it's not luck at all. God in his providence and God in his sovereignty placed Nehemiah in the house of the king to be his cupbearer because God knew that Nehemiah would have accesses to resources that no one else was going to have. God's sovereignty is all over this passage. You know, it leads us to chapter 2, which brings about Nehemiah's first steps toward getting the king's blessing on returning to the land and to build the wall. And as we go through this, uh, you know, sometimes, again, as a, as a preacher, as someone who's delivering the word, uh, you want to go one direction. You want to... To, to, to be a certain way, and, and sometimes it's obvious on the, based on the text or something that you see that you don't need to go that direction, so I'm just trusting that you'll do your best to see the significance of this truth tonight, 
Um, if it's a principle from God's word, it can help us. And I'm just asking you to, to be open to it this evening. I want you to notice how important timing is. Timing is very important to the process. If you want to build something that lasts, timing is everything. I don't build. I'm not a builder. I, I have built a house, but, but only because people held my hand through the process. But I do know if you move too fast, things aren't done right and something might get missed. And, and you guys that are in the construction field or, or you do something with work, the work of your hands, you probably know this. There are men out there, there are companies out there that have the reputation of getting it done quick, but they don't do a very good job. They get done quick, but they don't do the same quality. They're, they're spitting things out, but it's not done to the level that it should be. And though I'm not a builder, but I have put together many children's toys on Christmas morning. So I do kind of understand this in that when I'm in a hurry, and usually it's because there's a large stack of gifts that my children are expecting me to put together, and so I get in a hurry trying to put things together for them, or, or there's just other things going on, and I rush through it, and then I'm left with this pile of parts that are supposed to go in said toy, and I think, oh, it'll be fine the way it is, you're fine, it's just a toy. Well, before too long, it's not working properly. And I know that it's my fault because I skipped a few steps. If you move too quickly, you miss something. If you move too slowly, you might miss the window when it should have been finished. Being too cautious might cause you to miss the opportunity to get something done. I view this a little bit like buying a house in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. If any of you have been in the market at all in recent years, you know... That if you don't jump on something that you like right away, it's probably not going to be there the next day. I, and I thought, you know, when Brother Spencer sold his house and, and you know, he sold it, they sold their house in a day. And, and I felt like just a loser because our house wasn't selling. And here Brother Spencer sells his in a day and I'll, I'll never live up to this, to this man's expectation level. And I'm already failing, you know. Well, they sold their house in a day, but now I know why. Just a few weeks ago, when we saw the house that we have, a, we have a, a contract on, even now, we were the first people to look at the house. My daughter, Audrey, is, it has a nose for the deals, and she's on Zillow and Realtor, and she finds them, and she's telling us immediately when a deal comes up. She, she's going to be our little real estate mogul, and that's fine with me if, as long as she takes care of me, then some, and I'm good with that someday. Well, she's our mogul. She's looking on, on the lookout for the deals. And, and she told us that morning, there's a house. I think it looks like it's got potential. We call our realtor. Our realtor works till 1 o'clock. And so we had to wait till 1 to go see this house. We were the first people to see it. We walked through it. Where Aaron and I are looking at each other. And, and uh, in Sioux Falls, you think, you know, if this is the house, if this could work, if we see potential, we better make an offer on this one. We're looking at each other. I'm saying, what do you think? She's looking at me. What do I think? And I think, if we want this, we better move on it. And sure enough, it was a good thing we did. We looked at it at, I don't know what time, in that afternoon. About an hour later, another couple came through and looked at the same house. And we made an offer, and they made an offer. So the same afternoon, on this, this house had been on the market literally the first day, and there are two offers on the house. Fortunately for us, the people that were selling it said, if we're going to sell it to somebody, we want to sell it to a preacher with five kids. And I said, praise the Lord God for, 
for uh, putting me in that position and finding favor. Because they did want it to go to a pastor and his family, and I'm thankful for it. You know, we'd gone back to Oklahoma a few weeks before that, and, and we, you know, we, we had seen some houses come up, and, and we waited a couple days and called, called Deb before all this ever happened, and, and our realtor, and said, we'd like to look at these houses. She said, good luck, they're already all under contract. So when we saw that house, then we knew we've got to jump on this, because sometimes... Uh, if you're too cautious, you miss your window. If you're too fast, you miss the steps. So there's some place right in between where you have to have the right timing. Timing can be everything, especially if you want to do something that lasts. And, and that's kind of the theme tonight, is that if something's going to last, you need to have the right timing. You don't just throw a house together as quickly as you can. You don't build something that you want to last by carefully and quickly just putting it together it's true in a building it's also true in God's work Nehemiah had heard about this condition of of Jerusalem and her walls and and if he had been um, impulsive like many of us are at times he would have just said I'm going to the king tonight I'm taking care of business this needs to get done I'm going to go do what I need to do to get this done if he had been too cautious he probably would have waited too long and missed his window Well, here's Nehemiah trusting God's timing, just like you and I should trust God's timing. He knows that if God's work is going to be built on something that lasts, then timing has to be right. Well, still, though, that doesn't mean Nehemiah felt, you know, he waits. You know, he has to wait a while. But it doesn't mean that it's not supposed to happen. It just means he's waiting for the right time. And sometimes in leadership, and I say leadership Um, very tentatively because I haven't been in leadership very long here. But sometimes in leadership you do feel the pressure because there are people on both sides. There are people on this side saying you're moving far too slowly. You need to do this and you need to do this. We know these things need to get fixed. We know these things need to change. So let's do them. Let's take care of them. Then on this side you have those that, you know, if you change one thing in the first year, like that pastor, he's just reckless. He's just moving way too quick. And I do feel the pressure. I hope that you understand that I feel the pressure sometimes of either moving too slow or moving too fast or, or, or not moving enough. And, and, and I am trying as God's man for Eastside Baptist Church to be very sensitive to God's timing. I don't want to do anything that would jeopardize the foundation upon which Eastside Baptist Church is already resting. But just because you have to wait, one of the things that I noticed here is just because you wait doesn't mean that that the call is invalid. Timing doesn't change a calling. It's been anywhere between maybe three months and five months since the prayer of chapter one took place. So we're going to split the difference tonight and we're going to say it's been four months since Nehemiah first heard about Jerusalem and he spent chapter 1 praying. So for some reason or another, and we don't know exactly what it is, but for some reason Nehemiah has decided to wait to approach the king about returning. And it could have been maybe because winter is not a great time of year to take that kind of a journey. It, was, it would have been either November or December that he heard about the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, it, it could have been, simply been because no one entered in to talk to the king No one went into the king's presence without permission. 
Uh, if you'll remember back in Esther, you know, Esther was worried about that very thing. She didn't want to go into the king uh, without a, an invitation because if he didn't raise his scepter at her, then going into the king unannounced or uninvited puts your life at risk. Well, I mean, whatever the opportunity is, we find out in verse 1, or whatever the reason is, I should say, we find that there's an opportunity in verse 1 when wine was before him. Now, it could be that this was the first opportunity Nehemiah had. Whatever the reason for his delay, I want you to recognize that Nehemiah is no less passionate in chapter 2 than he had been four months earlier in chapter 1. See, he says in verse 1 at the end of it, now I had not been before time in his pre- sat in his presence. See, ne- what Nehemiah has not gotten away or gotten past the way the Lord burdened him some months earlier about the condition of Jerusalem and the walls. He's still doing his job. He's still taking care of business. Human nature would be that you could get excited when something is new, but it soon loses its shine. Has that ever happened to you? Where where you lose a little bit of your excitement after distance or after time. Well, here's Nehemiah four, ver- or four months later, and he is sad in the king's presence. Which means the, the news he got about Jerusalem and the walls being torn down is still affecting him. He didn't look at that burden four months earlier and then say, well, you know, after a couple of weeks, it's gone. I don't really feel sad anymore. No, he sat in the king's presence four months later. Sometimes we can get to where we, we lose a little bit of, bit of momentum or you know, the excitement of something drifts and it's kind of like buying in something new, a new, a new outfit. By the way, guys don't call them outfits. Girls call them outfits. But you, you have a new outfit, guys get new clothes. Okay, that's it. You get new clothes, you get a new outfit, you get a new car, you get a new house. And at first it's very exciting and it's always fun. But after a while, it loses a little bit of its luster, doesn't it? I remember we had this guy uh, in, in our old church in Stillwater. He was always into some new habit. He always had something new going on, a new hobby every week. One week it would be biking. The next week it would be playing the guitar. The, the next week it was frisbee golf. And, and every time he'd get something, he's all in. He's all excited. He's very, very into it. But after a few weeks, it was gone and he was on to the next thing. I went, he went through a yo-yoing phase. He went through a flying kites phase. Who does that? I don't know. But he would do something. He'd get on board. He'd get other people excited. And then suddenly he's moved on to something else. Now, I've known many young people. And I'm looking here at these young people that make an emotional decision about serving the Lord or about getting their lives right. And I'm thinking about camp. We'll be leaving for camp a week from tomorrow. And let me just tell you, young people, that God will work in your heart if you go to camp with an open heart. He's going to. And I I have no doubt we've got young people around the room that'll be there. God will work on your heart if you give him permission. Uh, and, And sometimes young people make a decision and they're excited about it and they're ready to go get it. And they come home and they're excited And then pretty soon things get back to normal and the excitement wears off and they think, well, it was just an emotional decision. But no, in that setting, with God's word being declared for a whole week, I doubt it was just emotional. What I imagine is in that setting, things were clearer than you'd ever seen them. Because all the other influence were, were out of your mind and God's word was very clear. And in that moment, you made a decision God was making 
obvious to you and then you go back home and now the influences are back and you say, well, that just wasn't the right decision. I was emotional. No, don't, don't let the, the distance, if something doesn't happen for a while, don't let distance convince you that it wasn't valid. Um, God sometimes waits a while. God sometimes uh, waits and, and, and the time frames are up to him and we let time, frame de- determine, time frames determine a calling sometimes, but that's not how it works. If you've been prompted about something in a, mes- in a message or in a missionary presentation or just in conversation with someone, don't assume that just because God doesn't move on your timetable that it wasn't real. It's very real. Nehemiah did what he knew to do until the time was right. And I'm thankful he didn't check out. I'm thankful that Nehemiah didn't say, well, you know what? God's, I'm waiting so long and God's, God hasn't let this come together. So I'm just assuming this, that my burden wasn't real and I'm just going to move on. It's kind of like, you know, when someone's retiring. I was talking to somebody recently and they work with someone who is retiring from a job they've had for 30 plus years. And they were telling me that the person that's retiring has been checked out for about six months. And they still have a couple months to go, but, you know, they can't hardly get them to do anything. They're just, they come to work, they, you know, they, they don't accomplish much. They're not driven, they're not motivated. Well, you know, they're just kind of biding their time. That's a, that would be a terrible place to be as, a, as an employee of a company, for sure. But especially as a child of God working for the king. You know, if God is making you wait on something, if the timetable doesn't fit your standards, don't assume that you can just check out until it happens. Um, That's not what Nehemiah did. You know, Nehemiah was still working. He was still doing his job. He was taking care of his business. In verse 1, we see that it says that wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Sometimes when things don't happen as fast as we want them to, we stop doing the things we know we're supposed to do. We stop doing the basics. Nehemiah did not. While he was waiting for the big thing, he kept doing the small things. And that theme will show up here in just a little bit. By the way, Zechariah in chapter 4 said, For who hath despised the day of small things? Many, many times we look down on the small things and we think, well, those aren't the things that really matter. But in the end, we'll see even tonight as we make application that sometimes, often, usually, the little things are the things that matter the very most. The little things are what determines the success or the failure. It could be that you haven't experienced the big things in your life because you haven't been able able to be faithful to the small things. I do believe that God works that way. If you've always wanted to do a certain thing in church or, or serve in a certain capacity, and yet as a teacher, you have a tough time being to class on time on Sunday mornings, don't be surprised if those doors don't open in the big areas because we're not taking care of business in the small areas. If you're, if you're a member of a class, or especially a teacher of a class, at Eastside Baptist Church, I mean, church starts, Sunday school starts at 9.45. And I'm going to encourage you, if you even if you're not a teacher and you're just in the class, uh, let's not wait till 9.48 to show up. You know the great thing about having glass doors, and I'm the one up here leading? I'm not going to tell you. Maybe you, you might know my secret, and then you'll go around the back way next time. Okay, if you work in the nursery, 
be here on time. If you work in a class, be here on, on time. If you're a member of a class, just to be an encouragement to the teacher, Brother Chad, right? Be here on time. He hasn't even told on anybody. I just know what young couples are like. We used to teach the young couples class. You know what we changed the name to? It was Cornerstone. We changed it to the latecomers class. I felt like that was a pretty fitting name for the young couples class. If you're here and and you're going to come, might as well be on time. As we're faithful in the small things, God starts to bless us in the big things. And I think we see that in the life of Nehemiah here. While waiting on God's time in your life, keep doing the things that you know to do. But while you're waiting on God's timing, don't assume that you're no longer supposed to do what you were prompted to do way back then. And by that, I mean just because the timing is different than you expected and just because you're waiting longer than you thought, it doesn't mean that the call way back then was invalid. You know, when I was nine years old, I was saved as a nine-year-old, and I was around the same time God called me. I very distinctly know in a message after a sermon that my father preached that God wanted me to surrender my life to him. So I went forward, and I surrendered to my life to be in ministry, if that's what he wanted. And I was trying to be very specific and say, I want to be a preacher, because my dad's a preacher. I want to be a preacher. My dad said, you should just tell the Lord whatever he wants you to do, you'll do it. And I think that's a safe way to go for our young people. It's, that's, not, uh, that's not telling them or squelching their excitement or zeal. It's simply being wise because uh, God may lead you in a way you never thought. When I was a nine-year-old boy and I thought I'd be a preacher, that if, if I would have approached ministry the last 18 and a half or 19 years thinking that I'm not fulfilling my role uh, that God called me to, unless I'm preaching, then the last 18 or 19 years don't have much purpose for me. Because after, I was a pastoral major in college, and I just knew that God was going to have me pastor. And, and after college, then I graduated and went to a ch- work on staff at a church. And, and at that church, I worked with music. That was the reason I got hired. And then I worked with teenagers for the last 11 years. And I wasn't officially a pastor. I wasn't a preacher. But you know, I am now. And it never, it crossed my mind at all to think that as a nine-year-old boy, that I, I just was mistaken. Just because God waits, just because God puts distance between the call and the actual installment of the plan, doesn't mean that he hasn't called you. It doesn't mean that what he spoke to you about is no longer valid. It doesn't mean that it has no meaning. It does have meaning. But his time frame and his timetable is very often not what we expect it to be. I've seen that in my own life as a, as a nine-year-old or so. When I was called into the ministry and I wanted to be a preacher, you realize I waited about or over 30 years before I got to experience the installment into the calling. You know, man's timing doesn't affect God's call. Nehemiah knew that in order to build something that lasts, you have to wait for the right time. You know, there are plenty of things that, about Eastside Baptist Church, I love Eastside Baptist Church. And I love love the, the spirit, I love the fellowship, 
I love the way that, that you're committed to it. You know, there are things, I think this happens to anybody walking into a, a situation, I think there are plenty of things that could probably be improved. Brother Spencer and I talked about those very things. It's not like it's a secret. I mean, I worked at a church in, for 18 and a half years in Stillwater, and it's a great church. There was a list of things in that church that I was constantly trying to improve. So it's not like I, I step into it thinking, oh, I could, I could sure go show them something. Or I've got something to really teach them. That's not it at all. There are things to be improved. I mean, I, I think that we could do a much better job at outreach. We could do it now. We've, and we've got, by the way, we've ordered some new tracks and, and door hangers. And they should be coming in as soon as FedEx or, or somebody finds them. Who knows where they are? We ordered them. They were supposed to be in this week. They're not. But when they come, you can take as many as you want if you'll hand them out. I think outreach could be improved. I do. I think we could keep better tabs on the visiting guests. You know, well, we have people come just about every week. You saw it this morning. We had some first-time guests in different places. It's very exciting to have first-time guests. And I believe that God will continue to bless us with first-time guests as long as we are putting effort into outreach. I really believe that. I believe the more that we plant seeds that God will even indirectly bring people into our services. And I'm grateful for that. But when they come, we are now stewards of that name. Which means that we must take that visitor card, that guest card, very seriously. We need to make sure they get contacted. And as we contact them, we need to make sure they get followed up on. And by the way, I've got a stack. And, and I'm usually the one contacting them. It will very soon be too big for one person to do. If you ever want to make visit, visitor contacts or guest contacts through the week, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to send you to some and, and just to follow up and just to meet them and, and put a face to it and, and be friendly. I mean, those are things that we need to improve on. We do. I think we, we can improve on something as simple as taking role in every Sunday school class. You know, not just counting heads, but putting names to it. Because I would love to know who's faithful and who's not. Not because I'm going to beat them over the head for not being faithful, but, but part of a church family is being accountable. And teachers, you ought to be keeping tabs on when, when someone in your class misses. And if they miss too much, I mean, talk to them about it. I mean, the, the Christian life in a church setting is not to be lived where you just do your own thing and nobody ever checks up on you or asks you about it, if that's the way it was supposed to be, we'd probably just go do our own thing. Accountability helps us. I need accountability. I mean, honestly, uh, sometimes if I didn't know that there was a, if I didn't have a 1045 slot coming up, or a 6 o'clock Sunday night slot, or a 7 o'clock Wednesday night slot coming up, then I may not study like I should. You know, so you, you know if I come to you and you know, there's something to be accountable to. And if you've missed choir probably maybe too much or, or you haven't been faithful on Wednesday nights, I mean, don't expect that the environment at Eastside Baptist Church will always be that, you know, we just kind of do what we want. You know, trust me, I love you where you are. I do. But God has called me as the shepherd of the flock to, to love you where you are, but not to be content for you to stay where you are. And so if I notice that you're not coming on Wednesday nights and I ask you about it, don't be offended. We need accountability. It's not an affront to your spiritual maturity. I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying it's time to tighten this up. 
If I notice, and you're working in the nursery on Sunday mornings, and I notice you walking in at 10 o'clock, and I ask you about it, don't be offended. Accountability is good for us. I mean, if I never got a bill in the mail, I wouldn't bother paying my electric bill. The, the bill keeps me accountable to it. I need to know when it's coming due, and if I miss it and they send me a, a late notice, I don't get mad at that. I mean, I, I need to be accountable to it. I don't want, I don't want a, them to turn my electricity off. You know, accountability is a good thing. If you're a member of some kind of club, or if you're a, a member of, of, of a gym, you have a gym membership, and you don't pay your fees, they don't let you come in anymore. We don't get mad about that, but for some reason, in God's work, we're extra sensitive to it. And it frustrates us that somebody would keep us accountable to do the simple things. But listen, the simple things, as we've already heard, the basics, the small things, those are the details through which everything will rise or fall. If Nehemiah had checked out and said, God has me ready to do something big, I'm, I'm above the, checking the wine for the king anymore, then he wouldn't have been in a position to be used for something big. We need accountability. You need to be here on Sunday. Folks, you need to be here on Sunday and Wednesday nights. If you have a habit of not being here on Sunday or Wednesday nights, then you are forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And you say, well, there's nothing in the Bible about being here on Sunday or Wednesday nights. We just need to meet on the Lord's Day. And, that's, and I understand that these are man-made times. But that, those verses talk about how in the certain times there will be a, a need for so much the more. The, the pattern in the New Testament is never, well, we don't need as much. It's always, no, things are getting worse and so much the more we need to be here as the day is approaching. As it gets worse and worse. So honestly, I would have a better case as the pastor of Eastside Baptist Church, of adding services throughout the week, then you would have a case of saying, well, I don't need to be here when they're already scheduled. Because it says, and so much the more. We need accountability. You need to be here on time. Especially if you teach. But even if you don't teach, if you're just a member of the couples class and you're coming in five or ten minutes late, don't expect that someday God will give you a couples class. Don't expect that someday God will bless you with something more if we can't take care of the small things. You know, I think we need to tighten up some of our policies. I, I think it'd be good for us to tighten up our Sunday school policies and, and, and make sure that teachers know when to be here and how much they should visit during the week. Even as teachers, you should be accountable to visiting your, class, your classroom, to visiting that role. To, to checking up on them, knowing their spiritual condition. It's impossible for one person, the pastor of Eastside Baptist Church, to know the state of fourth graders in your Sunday school class. And you could tell me and I'll do what I can, but God puts you there to be their accountability, to be their help. And you're not their shepherd, but in some ways, you're the under-under shepherd. You're taking care of that little flock that God has given you. And the more that you do to help them and to be faithful in that, who knows but that God might even grow that class and give you even more. We need to tighten up things. You know, our nursery policy, I had someone tell me they were in the nursery till right on time, it was time to start, and no one was there to take their, their baby. 
No, I hate to hear that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not getting on to people in the nursery, but, uh, but we need to tighten up on that. It, it'd be good for us to have somebody there at least 10 minutes before so people can check their babies in. Or we could just leave the babies in there, let them roam and fend for themselves. We need to be careful not to let things slip too far in our children's ministry protection. I mean, if any, at Eastside Baptist Church, we should know. We need accountability in that area. We need to improve our announcement process. You know, we need to improve how to get information out and, and give people plenty of time to know that things are coming up and in a formal, official way. And, and you know, I, I like Facebook, but I'm not sure that's the best way to, to, to do church business sometimes. We should add adult Sunday school classes. I'd love to, but we don't have space. So if you know anybody with a few million dollars, you can pay off our building and build us a gymnasium with a bunch of classroom space, then you just send them our way. But you know, until that happens, we have to wait on God's timing. And what we have to do is be faithful in the little things that we know we're supposed to be faithful in before God is going to bless us with anything bigger. I'd love to increase the energy in the service. You know, sometimes I walk in and, and, you know, before the service, and I've mentioned this before, and I'd love to walk in and see people talking and anticipating and having, you know, having conversation, enjoying each other's company before the service like you do after the service. I, after the service, I love the fellowship. I'd love to come in this room before services and there's a buzz going on because people know that something's going to happen here. The music's going to be on point the preaching may not be, but everything else will be good. You know, come in with an energy. You know, I'm not telling you what to do, but as your pastor, I'd love for you to wait to sit down until it's time to sit down. Come in and stand and talk. And I don't want to manufacture it because I believe it's really what's in your heart. You love the fellowship. You love the people of God. I think it's, it, it's in your heart, so let's express it in a different way. I'd love to, every time a special gets sung, as soon as it's done, that the men of Eastside Baptist Church say amen, because the song is true, but also as an encouragement and edification to the one singing it. Now, I'm not saying that, we should, that, we're, that we're about each other. That's not my point. But it does say in Colossians and Ephesians, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we sing with our grace in our hearts to the Lord, but there's a byproduct of edification that takes place in the music. Now, honestly, it's about the Lord. It's to the Lord. But a byproduct of it is that I'm edified. I'm lifted up. I'm built up. And I can tell you as a singer, sometimes you know you have a truth in your heart, and when you stand up here to convey it, and then after it's done, if there's not a response, you feel like, man, that really missed the target. I'm going to encourage you to think, how can I be an encouragement to the singer? It's not wrong for you to say amen or respond to a truth. You're not clapping and, and lifting up a singer. You're lifting up the Lord. That truth is worth some response sometimes. I'm thankful tonight for the response I'm getting in the preaching. Some of you men, it's time to take the lid off of that. There you go. Take the lid 
off that amen. You know, in basketball, when you can't make a shot and you just, I mean, you go trip after trip and you've got a bunch of empty trips down the floor, they say, man, we need to really take the lid off the basket. It's, 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 you know, there's a lid on the basket. You can't really make a shot. And once it finally somebody makes a shot, then the lid is off and it seems like everybody can start making shots again. I'd love for us to have the energy in our services among the men that are saying amen to the preaching and to the music, not because I'm trying to manufacture something, but I believe it's in your heart. And if it's in your heart, it is biblical to say amen, first of all. Second, if we could go to 1 Corinthians 14, which we will at some point, I'd like to preach through that and show you that when a guest comes in, he's not just convinced from the preacher, and he's not just convinced from the choir or the musician. The Bible says he's convinced of all. That means you have a part to play in every service. I'd like to improve some elements of the sound system, eventually. You know, some things about our sound system that I think could, could be improved and help the sound. But you know, right now, I, I don't, I'm not going to just throw a bunch of money at that. I'd like to do better um, you know, at getting more men to pray together. And I know we have prayer meeting before the services and things like that. But you know, right now, for now, we have a Saturday night prayer meeting. And that may eventually, the time may be adjusted a little bit. But I'd love to have 20 men coming out from his prayer meeting. If you believe in what's happening here at Eastside Baptist Church, come out on Saturday night and pray about the next day. I'd love, I'd love to have better discipleship efforts. I'd, I'd love to tackle some of those things. But I just want to mention tonight the reason that I don't, I don't come in just thinking, well, we've got to change all this all at once, is because God's timing is the most important factor in all of it. Here's Nehemiah, and he had an important job to do. But he waited four months before he did anything for it. What I've learned from Nehemiah is there is great wisdom in the wait. You know, there's much to be learned by understanding before implementing. And if you want to build something that lasts, you wait until God's timing makes it clear. Nehemiah had a burden, but he knew that it was doomed to fail without God's timing. So he waited for the opportunity that the Lord presented and then moved. And it's a good lesson for all of us, especially in God's work. And you say, well, that's your part in it. Well, what's my part in it? Well, your part in it is this. Nehemiah didn't stop doing what he knew he had to do just because the timing hadn't come yet. He stayed faithful in the little things. And by remaining faithful in those small things, then God eventually allowed him to do something really big. And I'm going to encourage you as members of Defesai Baptist Church, if you ever, ever want to see this sanctuary more full, if you ever want to see us pay off this building, if you ever want to see us build a new building out there with a gymnasium and more kids' classroom spaces so that we can maybe free up some classroom space here and have more adult classes, we can have more targeted Sunday school for the adults and the, and the, the guests that come in from Sioux Falls, if you ever want to see that happen, if you ever want to see the, the things that seem big right now, if you ever want to see those changed, it won't happen unless God's people are faithful in the small things. I mean being faithful to every service. And when you come, come on time. 
And if you have a ministry, be in your place at the right time. And if, you, if you're involved in choir, don't, don't skip. Come early. If you're involved in outreach, do it to the best of your ability. Come on Thursdays at 6.30 or just take some tracks every week and make an effort because outreach is, uh, it's not just a church program. Outreach is God's program for reaching the world. And I'm going to encourage you at Eastside Baptist Church, God wants to do something special here. I have absolutely no doubt, but we can take the, the lessons from Nehemiah and in, in leadership, I can say, I'm waiting on God's timing. I do not want to do, move ahead of God. I don't want to move behind God. I want to do things exactly the way he wants us to. But second, it will take you just keeping on, keeping on. The small things that God has you involved in right now, he'll bless you with bigger things if you're faithful to those. There's a role to play for every person here. God has something special for you in the whole process. And I'm just going to ask you, will you get on board? Will you get on board? Do you believe that God could use this one church to reach this whole town? If you, if you do, don't say, well, you know, we've got to have more programs. And we've got to get more organization. Don't say, no, I think where it starts is, I'm going to be on time to church. And when I come and I see a guest, I'm going to greet them with the friendliest face I can. And if I see them over there, nobody's shaking their hand, I'm going to be the first one to them. I'm going to be here on time. I'm going to be here with zeal. I'm going to sing out to the best of my ability. I'm going to say amen when a song is, is sung, and I'm going to say amen when the preacher gets up, even if he's throwing a bomb. I'm going to get involved because I think God will bless us with bigger things if we just keep doing the small things that we're supposed to. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.